Hello, all my fellow travelers on the Hot Mess Express. It is time for another installment of Life's a Drag. Yay! Straighten up your wig, tighten that corset, and let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by Newsly. Newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time, the entire web becomes listenable, all in one place. Browse articles from topics you choose and start playing. Stop scrolling, start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you like from sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, or even the Kardashians. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. They have podcasts as well. You can find our podcast there. They even have digital radio. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in the description. You can get one month free of the premium subscription by using my code PUP2022. Thanks, Newsly, for sponsoring this episode. Yay! Yay. Here we are. Hi, Gorge. Hi. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? I'm good. I um, have been just really uh, getting back into my element after traveling and being on the road. Um, it's been interesting. This yeah. whole journey the last couple of years has been interesting. How about you? <laughs> Doing okay. It's been a day, but we got a long weekend coming up. So that's kind mm-hmm. of nice. Yeah. I know. All right. So you're off on Monday? Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah, absolutely. It's, ugh, I need it. I need, I need just three days in a row to get stuff done, you know? Right. So you've been traveling? You've been on the road? I have. I've been working on a show called We're Here. It's on HBO. I've been doing that. This is now my second season. And um, it's been life-changing and eye-opening. And it's been challenging. It's been amazing. It's something that I never thought that I would get an opportunity to do again. And we've gotten to do it now for two seasons and I get to work with, you know, somebody that I am extremely close with and it makes it um, fun. It also can be challenging at times. COVID has definitely made it challenging. So for, for people that don't know, we're here is it's reality. And what you're doing is you're helping um, people deal with, with trauma and you're helping them heal by uh, showing them kind of how to embrace their creativity and, and with their appearance and with their self-esteem, right? Well, I'd like to say, first off, I think what we're showing them is that drag queens aren't just some, you know, trapped, sexually frustrated men in, you know, basements somewhere being rotted and disgusting human beings, you know? I think we're trying to show that drag is transformative and that it has so many countless areas that it can touch and affect people in so many countless effective areas. Um, And what we do is we go into really remote locations in the United States and we get to show people who feel as if they're alone and don't have a community or they're frightened or afraid in telling their story because they feel like no one will understand or that people will judge them. And we're showing them that just by being honest and being yourself and sometimes becoming something else in order to find yourself uh, Mm -hmm. can help and that you will have a community of people that surround you uh, and show up for you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Really cool. I think that's definitely a common misconception is that people think 
um, that men that do drag are inherently homosexual, which they're not. Um, right. That they're perverted and they're not. It, well, just, some of us are perverts. Well, <laughs> in a good way. But in a good way. It's self-expression. It's embracing something um, that you like. It's just, you know, a lot of people don't understand it. And that's fine. I think the thing for, you know, anybody who doesn't understand what drag is, I would encourage them to get into it and to, mm -hmm. to discover what drag is. You know, drag really saved me in my life when I was a teenager. Uh, I was a 14-year-old runaway. I met three drag queens that took me in in Columbus, Ohio, and showed me how to um, protect myself, defend myself, educate myself, be creative, um, really embrace me and my dreams. And uh, I wouldn't be a makeup artist or a hairstylist if it wasn't for those three queens. And one specific uh, queen, her name was Olivia Pantene. She's since passed, but uh, she was a huge light in my life and, you know, was just the most kind human being to me at a time where people were not very kind to me. And um, I owe her my entire life, my, ento my entire, everything that I've ever been through, I owe to her because my life changed when I met that person. And I think that that's what being on the show really helps me to have an appreciation for that because these people are now being affected by drag queens that are going to change the course of their life. And drag is so powerful. It saved me in so many ways, not just when I was a kid, but it saved me when I was, you know, coming out of addiction and coming out of homelessness. I dove back into drag because it was a safety net. It was a safe, a, a safe space for me. Um, so I owe drag my entire life. And can we talk about um, what led you to be a runaway at 14? Yeah, I was, um, so at 14, I had been in so many different foster cares and so many different living situations. I was never in the same school for longer than six months. Um, I grew up really displaced. My mom was really young. My dad was really young and completely um, incapable of taking care of his responsibilities. And I think as much as my mom wanted to build a life with him and have a family with him, that was just not his goal. And, you know, um, needless to say, none of that worked out um, for, for both of us, not just for her, but for me as well. Uh, so by the time I was 14, I had lived in so many different living situations. I was absolutely certain that if I got the reins of my own life, that it wouldn't feel chaotic. I would um, kind of like if I could steer my own ship, I could I could put it into calm waters. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I had a lot of adults that were in control of my life and making decisions for me that really were detrimental, really detrimental and very traumatizing. I'm not saying that I'm still traumatized by the decisions. I mean, I'm a grown man now mm -hmm. and completely capable of making my own decisions and creating my own chaos and getting myself out of it. But I think the, the, the thing is, is that as a kid, I had so many underlying issues that nobody knew about because I had to keep them secret. I had to keep my life of a, a, a complete, you know, it was completely unknown to people. Right growing up in the 80s and the 90s when being gay was something you still did not talk about. Right. 
absolutely. And being a foster child or being in the system, you already have that feeling of, I can't be anything less than perfect or they're not going to want me or they're not going to want to keep me. And that's, it's really the, it's, it's really, they're not going to keep me because see, the thing is when you go into foster care now, mind you at 11, 12 years old, I was sick and tired of playing the game and hiding my life from people. Um, I felt like I needed attention that I wasn't getting. And so when somebody asked me if I was gay, I would just own up to it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately in the foster care system at that time, uh, Franklin County Children's Services policy was that they had to put you into temporary placement and temporary placement was a 30 days max. So every 30 days I was moving to a new foster home and a new school system. <laughs> it was torture, it was torture. Right. You yeah. never know where you're going to be. You never know where you're going to be. You never know what kind of personalities you're going to be up against. Um, I was still figuring out who I was as a person and figuring out all these new faces and the new smells and the new expectations and what I could get away with and what I couldn't get away with. And, um, it was tough. It was tough. I don't, I don't recommend that kind of, uh, life for a kid. Um, but I'm grateful that it was given to me because clearly I was able to handle it. Right. Well, it made you stronger for sure, but it's sad that you had to go through that at such a young age. I mean, I can't imagine just making friends would have been impossible because you're like, well, I'll probably not even know you. Well, you know, the crazy thing is, is that for all those things that you think are really difficult and very challenging, and you're like, wow, I can't believe that that probably was really difficult for you. Yes, it was difficult for you. And because of the difficulty in it, it made me capable of being able to find another way around it. And now I'm actually really good at meeting people and really good at talking to people for the very first time. So everything that you think it would have a negative impact on, it actually has turned into being a benefit and a bonus for me. At 14, you're like, screw this. I can't, I'm not in control. This is making me, you know, crazy with all this chaos and, and changing homes. So you're like, I'm out. Um, well, I'm not-, I'm not in control and you're clearly not in control. So one of us has to figure out what's happening. <laughs> you know, I was, I, I was raised with a lot of people I'm, and I'm not, I'm not downing anyone who's a foster parent and I'm not you know, creating a sense of hopelessness for anybody who's in the foster care system. But what I will tell you is that for me, people that were foster parents to me were not necessarily wanting to do it because they were great people. Right. And we will go on record and say, there's amazing foster parents out there. We know incredible foster parents and incredible foster kids. Yeah. This is just your, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that people think that the kids who are fostered are, you know, some kind of troubled situation going on, and it's a lot to handle. Usually, it's because they're coming from a very traumatizing situation or a very troubled situation. Kids are great. Mm-hmm. Kids are great, and sometimes they have issues, but you can work through those, you know. Um, but yeah, for me, my foster families, I had one out of the multitudes that I still remember uh, having great feelings about. Right. Yeah. That's, it's, it's just got to be tough for the kids. And so at 14, you're on the streets? 
You're a runaway. I'm a runaway. I'm a runaway, and I'm uh, and I I have a um, I have a warrant out for my arrest now at 14. Oh shit. Yeah, I had a warrant out for my arrest at 14 because I was a ward of the state. Mm -hmm. I was property of the state of Ohio. And because I was a runaway, I was now obstructing official business. Oh, and, Lord. Uh-huh. And so they started to put all of that, you know, it just, it got to the point where it got scary to stay in, in Ohio. Um, and so I had to say goodbye to my little drag family. And I ended up running away to uh, Detroit and I lived in Detroit for 10 years. So um, I went on quite a journey at a very young age and uh, I'm grateful for it. It gave me an opportunity to really find myself. And I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and I've made a lot of decisions that didn't turn out the best that I thought, you know, I, I think that's part of growing up. You know, you've got to make mistakes in order to figure out where you want to go and who you are. And I have definitely made every mistake you could possibly make <laughs> well you're just figuring it out honestly i'm still that. figuring it out <laughs> yeah. so do you just you lay low until you're 18 and then you're like okay i'm an adult and all this is behind me i think that once i crossed the ohio michigan border i felt safe because mm -hmm. i knew that i could create a life for myself okay. that nobody would suspect um, I ended up moving in with a drug dealer in Detroit um, who was very stern and very strict with me. He yeah. was not, uh, he was not mean in any, any way. I, I'm telling you, the people that I met along the way, although may have been shifty, very questionable characters to normal society, they were very kind and very good people to me. Um, I can say his name because he's very open about his journey, but a guy named Jim in uh, in Detroit is the guy that took me under his wing when I was like 15, 16 years old. Um, and we lived in his little drug apartment downtown Detroit. And um, he made sure I was in bed every night at nine o'clock. And under no circumstances was I allowed to participate in any of the, you know, illegal activity going on in that apartment. Wow. Yeah. Jim Stewart in Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> so he was, uh, was he much older than you or just slightly older than you? <laughs> no, he was definitely much older than me. I would like to say somewhere between 15 and 20 years. Okay. So was he like a father figure to you? Not that like a father figure, more like, more just like a, a brother. I think he was, we had a, and you know, I could see him again anytime I go back to Detroit and we still have that connection of, I care for you as a human being, you know, he was never rotted to me. He was never mean to me. And as a matter of fact, he was very protective of me because a couple of days that he knew he was being investigated. And when he found out that he was going to be raided, there was, you know, kind of an underground chatter that he was going to be raided. His apartment was going to be destroyed. And um, he gave me a heads up and he said, you have to be out of this apartment in 15 hours. And he okay. gave me plenty of time to get me out of there that would have ruined my life. You know, mm -hmm. I would have been caught by the police in Detroit. I could have been sent back to Columbus, Ohio. I would have had to serve now, you know, just a kid trying to do my best with my life. Now I've got a warrant out for my arrest for obstructing official business and for running away. They would have put me into a juvenile detention center and who knows where my life would have gone. Right, right.
so yeah, he was he was amazing to me and always was amazing to me. So I, I always ran into some really shifty characters, but people that were, you know, for me, really cool ass, you know, people. <laughs> All right. And and in that position of like kind of a little brother, you're probably untouchable. Like, don't mess with him. Um, I don't know. I think I kind of have always been untouchable in the core group of my friends. You know, I've kind of always been somebody that um people respect and admire and I, I think that there even at his age I think that there was a level of respect and admiration for who I was and what I had gone through all right so you stayed with him for you said you stayed in Detroit about 10 years I did I stayed in Detroit for about 10 years I met my first partner when I was there in Detroit um fell in love uh and was with him for almost eight years we wow. were together yeah. And th that's, you know, I turned 18 with that person and I uh, got my GED with him and my driver's license and, you know, all of those things that you do when you're a teenager, or very young like that. I did all of those things with Sean and um, we had an amazing life together. I thought that that was going to be the person I would spend the rest of my life with. And uh, unfortunately, <laughs> once you think you got it all figured it out, you know, it definitely, uh, it definitely shifts. And oh, mine, yeah. mine has shifted many, many times. Yeah. The hairstyling come first or did the makeup come first or kind of together? Where, how did that enter your life? Well, I wanted to always be a hairstylist. And when I met Mark, my drag mother in Columbus, um, he showed me how to do makeup. He was a hairstylist and I was always fascinated by what he did. And you know, when I was younger, I used to tell people, I used to tell people that, um, that I wanted to braid hair. I didn't even know it was called cosmetology or hairstyling. I just wanted to braid hair. Um, because all of the foster families that I had lived with had multitudes of girls that mm -hmm. loved to braid each other's hair. And I just wanted to be one of the girls. Um, so I think I wanted to be a hairstylist first and ended up becoming a makeup artist first. Okay. That's awesome. And People need to check you out because your makeup is fire. It's so good. You were doing that green eye the other night and I was just mm. like, oh, <laughs> it was beautiful. Thanks, babe. I, you know what? I, I'm really um, open to trying new things when it comes to new products and new techniques. Um, I am a shape person and I build everything based off of shapes. So I think that that's just the natural way that my eyes saw makeup when I was young. I learned makeup when I was really, really young. Um, and so it just made sense to me in the way that it made sense to me. It was never explained to me and it was never taught to me. Just, I, I think that, that being a self-taught makeup artist has taught me a lot of really cool things with makeup and things that most makeup artists uh, that I work with don't do. Um, but I've developed my own, I, I've developed my own technique based off of just trial and tribulation, you know, just trial and error and um, not being afraid to play with something and make a mistake. Right. And was your first, your first introduction to makeup was rather dramatic than if you learned from your drag mother, right? I mean, you right. didn't see 
a nude lip and a soft eye. <laughs> no, we didn't do, we didn't. And makeup was really just being invented back then. You know, I just, I, I mean, and I say that, you know, very tongue in cheek jokingly because the makeup's been around forever, but the formulation and the texture and the variety in colors and skin tone and um, coverages and uh, the different finishes that everything had, you know, back in the day, there was just, you know, one formulation, one texture, and maybe a couple of colors. That's why everybody back in the 60s wore blue eyeshadow, you know, mm -hmm. because that was what was available. And the texture was shiny and lip color was, you know, only a couple shades, you know, that's why my grandmother always had that one shade that she loved and carried around with her forever. And when they we're going to discontinue it. She bought 80 of them, you know? <laughs> right. um, and I think all of our grandmothers probably did that. Uh -huh. um, so when I was doing makeup in, at a really young age, I had to learn how to be creative because I didn't have what was available now. Now there's so many different, I mean, I'm looking at my desk right now and I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different textures and colors of and such a variety to play with. I have stuff that I've never even touched yet. Um, and it's it's fun. I, I love being a makeup artist now. Right. Yeah. Well, I remember um, talking about grandmas. My grandma used, what was it? Is it the, the Cody powder? Cody and powder. The red, red lipstick. And that's all she wore. Yeah, all that Cody spun powder is the same powder that I wore when I started doing drag. The right. little, um, the little, cotton emblems on the outside of the mm -hmm. packaging and you can still remember the smell and if I smell it now it brings back such vivid memories the things that are available now in the makeup uh, industry nothing gives me more jealous anxiety as to watch an influencer a, a makeup influencer clean out their you know their drawers I'm like send it to me <laughs> you have Ew, it's so gross though <laughs> they have they have hundreds of things and I'm like I have two but it gives me like it's anxiety because I'm like you have so much but it's also like jealousy and there's just so much to choose from and you watch this when you watch that one and you think well this is the best concealer no this is the best concealer and you yeah. never know so yeah, it's and that's that's the thing is you know as far as being you know watching these influencers and watching these makeup artists that do these lives and talk about products and oh this is the best product to get if it's something that i know will generally work for an entire community of people and i think it's the best i'll recommend it mm -hmm. you know like lip balms or if a product range has a lot of different shades mm -hmm. and it works really well for for me um you know again it doesn't even really matter when it comes to like colors and textures and stuff like that everyone's coloring is different everyone's texture is different and uh texture is important when it comes to makeup it really you can make a huge difference on something just making something shiny or making something matte it can change the entire look of something so you know when it comes to like recommending stuff for just general across the board i think that that's why i don't do it when i'm when i'm painting and people are asking me what i'm using i don't tell them not because i'm ashamed of what i'm using but because I don't necessarily think it's for everyone. And I think it's such a shame when somebody says to somebody, oh, this is what I'm using and I think it's the best. And then everybody goes out and buys it and it doesn't work for half the people that go out and get it. 
because they they don't understand that they're not the same color their their skin texture is different you know the the um emollient in their skin like are are you oily are you dry do you have more normal skin do you get really wet in your t-zone area after you know a couple minutes eureka mm -hmm. and i are uh very similar in coloring we both have light eyes and our skin can be very pale mine's not at the current moment because i just got back from hawaii but um uh our skin coloring is very similar and we both have to wear very different products when we're doing drag because of that reason so if i were going to sit there and tell somebody oh this is the foundation i use and i think it's best for everybody i'm not going to be great at what i'm telling people to do i'm right. going to be a i'm going to be found out as a fraud really quickly <laughs> I know I get so like upset if I see someone who's like 30 and they've got beautiful skin. Listen, I'm in my I'm in my 40s and I'm a Florida girl. I got sun damage, you know. I love that you say that. You know that I'm gonna be 45 October 2nd. Oh happy birthday early. Yeah, thanks, but babe. You know what I'm saying though? We've got texture, we've got issues maybe a little bit. So if I see this perfect face using a product, I'm like, that's amazing. And I tried for so long to get a matte look and I'm just discovering I'm not a matte girl. I can't no. do it. I have to be the, the dewy look. That's what I have to go for. And yeah. it's because you, you know, like you said, you watch a lot of the videos and you're like, that looks so beautiful. You try it on yourself. Not so much. You're like, I look like I just poured a sidewalk. We're not going <laughs> to do this. Yeah. But so you do have to be so conscious when you're watching things to, like you said, that it might not work for you. It might not be the best concealer. I've been on a hunt for a perfect primer for probably the past year and it's still not, it's getting closer, but it's still not quite there. Yeah. Um, I think that like when you, when you talk about things like looking for the perfect product, I think that like, for instance, I don't use primer and I don't mm -hmm. use primer because I didn't grow up doing primer with my own makeup. Mm -hmm. um or with makeup that i've done on other people we didn't have primers primer is something that's brand new you know mm -hmm. we just had you know either you use lotion or you didn't you know that was it um I, I think that you have to like really look at what you expect from your makeup and i think expectations are everything you know when i did makeup uh professionally like in a studio for for people i would get people who are completely delusional coming mm -hmm. in, you know, not in the same age group as the person that they're trying to look like, um, not in the same coloring, they don't have the same skin texture, um, they don't have the same, you know, skin tautness, and mm -hmm. they're coming in with a picture of some woman that's 30 or 40 years their, their junior, and saying, this is the look I want, and then not realizing that makeup is not going to create, uh, correct those things that are, are underlying, you know? this is the surface that I'm putting it on. I'm not, you know, I'm not capable of being um, a magician when it comes to applying wax powder and uh, grease, you know? Mm -hmm. You just it's gotta figure out what your expectation is of a product and see if it comes close to that. And if it does, I would say that's probably the perfect thing. Right, because it's honestly, it's not the product's fault. This is your canvas. <laughs> that this is the problem, not the product, you, you, you're a little happier, I think. Well, I, yeah, I think that, I, I think also if you, 
I think reality is a great dose of, um, reality is a great medicine, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that people who live in this delusional state thinking that a product is gonna fix something for them and they're, it, it, it's so far from the truth. Yeah. I mean, unless the product is like, you know, Botox, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but that's, that's subdermal though. That's something that goes in the skin and anything that's cosmetic, isn't going to be, Hey babe, how are you? Hey, hi. What's <laughs> up? Oh my God. So cute. Is that your son? That's my son. Say hi, Justin. Uh, he's hi, waiting. Justin. <laughs> But yeah, so I think a a realization of your imperfections is so important to understanding your your beauty or your lack of beauty. I could not have said that any better. It that that should be a bumper sticker. (laughs) Thank you. What did I say? I can't remember. No. (laughs) Understanding your flaws is really the 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 key to understanding your beauty. That's right. I'm gonna write that down. But it's so funny for me, I'm, I'm learning a lot in the, in the past, like I would say past year or so, but I don't know that these are necessary that I need to learn about makeup. For instance, prior to learning about beauty blenders, it was this, right? And it's not that this is necessarily bad. It's just that this is what everyone's doing. It's like, no, you, you pounce, you pounce. It's like, okay, but smoothing works too. So just, you know, keep in mind that just because you see it and it might work, you know, great for whomever is doing it. If you have something that works for you and you feel like you look good when you're done. And see, this is the reason why I don't go on real, you know, tantrums about what I'm using because it's less about what I use and it's more about how I'm using it mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's very clear that I'm putting on a blue eyeshadow when I'm putting on a blue eyeshadow so find a blue eyeshadow that you like and that works for you and see if you can't apply it in the same way and get the same or similar results that's more helpful more beneficial and more useful than telling somebody this is the must-have product you have to go get this only to not real only to realize that it, it's not going to work for all people you know back in the 70s i think uh my grandmother was telling me about this time i don't know if it was my grandmother or if it was like a former hairstylist or somebody that i worked with in the past but they were expressing to me that one of the best uh opportunities they had as a hairstylist it was a hairstylist one of the best opportunities they had as a hairstylist was when Cosmopolitan Magazine told mm-hmm. everybody how they could do the shag haircut themselves at home. Oh my. And, and here was, th- these were the directions. Place all of your hair on top of your head into a ponytail and cut straight across. Now, in theory, that mm-hmm. would give you a shag haircut. But do you know how many people put the rubber band so close to their scalp that their version of a shag haircut wasn't really going to be known for another six months? Right. So this hairstylist must have got a lot of um, a lot of business fixing those. A lot of business. And I think that that's what they were telling me was that, you know, most of their career and most of their clientele initially was built off of the beauty industry's mistakes. Right. right exactly it's like yeah absolutely try it at home but uh make an appointment with me yeah but as- also you know again with hair 
everybody's hair texture is different. Everyone's hair lays differently. You know, um, the thickness and the coarseness and the length of everyone's hair is going to be different. So although you can get all your hair onto the top of your head on the ponytail, it doesn't mean that placing the ponytail directly at the scalp and then cutting as close to the ponytail, <laughs> there wasn't enough information, I guess is what I'm saying. And it was never meant or intended for every single person. You know, right. I think you're, when the beauty industry is talking, they're talking about ideal, you know, this is the ideal hair. This is the ideal texture. This is the ideal and uh, ideal desire and result. Um, right. But not everybody is ideal. You know, right. we're all so different. Right. It's like you watch the hair tutorials of um, beautiful braids, beautiful updos. Well, guess what? Their hair is long and straight. Mine is not. Mine is wavy and misbehaves at the, you know, at the drop of a hat. Uh -huh. You have to understand that you can't do that. So find something that looks cute with you and try to, you know, maybe adapt it to your own hair. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, going back to drag, just uh, to touch on, you were saying a lot has changed. I never knew like how much went into it. Like glue sticks. Hello. I didn't even know that was a thing to glue down the eyebrows and then to, to cover them completely up and to paint them on. It's, it's so made famous, made famous by the uh, makeup artist, Kevin Aquan. Wow. Yeah, that was initially made uh, famous by Kevin Aquan's book, Making Faces. It was the first and only time I had ever seen anybody do that uh, with a glue stick. And um, yeah, gluing down the brows and, and, and flattening them out and then painting new ones over it. That was mm -hmm. developed by a makeup artist called Kevin Aquan. It's, it's just so fascinating to me. Just the, the whole transformation is beautiful. It's just like, oh, it's just like to, to, to just change yourself in that way. And even just like, cause then it brings you into this like persona that you, you adopt when, you know, when you're all done up. It's I think it's the, I, I think for me, drag is the completeness of all of myself as a sexual being and as a human being. You know, I get to embrace everything that is human about me. Do you think that sometimes it's used kind of as a mask to get more confidence? I mean, I, ho I hope it is initially because that's what it was for me coming okay. out of coming out of drug addiction and out of homelessness. I was really ashamed of the journey I had just been through. And I think that if somebody would have seen me trying to adapt to my life as a sober person in the beginning, it would have been really humbling. And I might not have been strong enough to get through it. And I might have gone right back to doing what I had just come back from um, had it not been for being able to put on the face of somebody else and the clothes of something else and being able to integrate back into society as a different person. Right. Give me the confidence to walk up to people that I had known for years who hadn't seen me for years and reintroduce myself as a new person. Right. Fresh chapter. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Whether whether it was or it wasn't, it's what it felt like. Mm -hmm. And I saw, is it four years now that you're celebrating? Four years yesterday. Wow, that's fantastic. Which is kind of insane because I was the person who couldn't even make it to a month sometimes. 
do you feel like it flew by or do you feel like you felt every second of it? <laughs> well, you have to remember, I wasn't just fighting addiction. I was fighting homelessness as well. So I think that over the last four years, I have been constantly climbing an uphill, constantly. I think this um, opportunity to work with Eureka and to work with We're Here has given me a little bit more financial stability and it's made things go a little bit quicker for me. But uh, getting out of homelessness and, uh, and beating addiction at the same time, it's been an uphill climb. Mm-hmm. And you this know? was this was homeless in Los Angeles. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Homeless, homeless. Like, like the worst kind of homeless. People think it'd be great to be homeless in LA. There are mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of homeless people in Los Angeles, and you are just another number in the in in the in the streets. Mm-hmm. It is it is tough. I mean, all you have to do is walk down a street in Los Angeles. I mean, that's all you have to do. And or right you... out front, right outside your front door. I mean, the pandemic has not made it easy for anybody. And I've seen lots and lots of new faces in the homeless community based off of what we've just endured. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely, people have lost their jobs. They've been furloughed. And people, and it can, and it can <laughs> happen to anyone. And I will tell you that being homeless was the most humbling and eye-opening experience of my life. Right. And I don't feel, this is just a personal, I don't feel that anybody chooses to be homeless. You know, I Uh, think it's always something has happened or almost always something has happened. Yes and no. I I do know people that are so, um, I do know people that are not uh, entertained at all by society's standards and feel like they will never live up to society's standards. And so living off of the grid is is heaven for them. So Mm -hmm. I I do believe that there are choices to be made when when you are homeless. You can either choose to stay where you're at or you can choose to get help and uh, try to fight your way out of it. I'm not saying fighting your way out of it is easy. It is is the hardest thing I've ever done. The Mm -hmm. hardest thing I've ever done. Getting sober was easy getting not homeless, that was the toughest thing I've ever done. You know, Mm -hmm. I was well into season season one of filming and I was still hopping from couch to couch to couch. Well, I know there's there's a kid I've seen his TikToks. um, I think he's a teenager and he and his mom, uh, something to do with COVID, but they basically stay in their car and everyone's like, how can you afford a phone and you can't afford an apartment? I'm like, are you a special kind of idiot? Because just because... (laughs) yeah they're like sell your phone I said okay so he gets two hundred dollars and they stay in a hotel for a night yeah you know it's it's not it's not that easy it's it's very easy for you to to sit at home and say oh well you could do this or you could do that or your mom has a job why don't you have an apartment uh listen I have a place and it cost me a ton of money to get it so I can't imagine someone who's just getting back on their feet will have that immediately to hand over. Plus they check your credit. They do all this other stuff. Very difficult. Yeah. And, and to go from being off the grid for as long as I was with no job, no former place of residence, I was very, very lucky to run into the apartment manager that said, um, as long as you have the first and last month's rent, it's good. And then, uh, 
when they came back with my credit report, of course, my credit was non-existent. And, and I want to say it was in shambles, but the first year that I had gotten sober, um, I spent a lot of time and a lot of money getting myself back into a good standing with my credit or at a zero level. Um, and then when I relapsed, of course, I never used any of my credit, but um, let's just say my credit wasn't, it wasn't uh, doing me any favors. Right. And um, the guy said, uh, I just need a, you know, first and last month's rent. And then when he checked the credit, he goes, and I'm going to need an additional month of, of deposit. And mm -hmm. I thought to myself, an additional month of deposit, like, do you know how hard I've had to work just to save up this? You know, mm -hmm. now imagine I'm hopping couch to couch and I've got enough money for security, but not enough month for, for a first month's rent. So then I have to keep hopping couch to couch and keep saving this money with no bank account mm -hmm. everywhere I go and waiting till the next month and the next month. And then finally you get your first month's rent and your security deposit. And then they say, you're going to need to come back with another month of security. It was tough, um, but I did it. You know, I just, I never fucking gave up. I never gave up. Right. And look at you now. I mean, I, I'm still not where I want to be, but I'm definitely more comfortable and more confident about where I'm at than I ever have been. That's worth its weight. It's gold in gold to me anyway. Right. And you're sharing um, the benefit of your experience with the show, with we're here, you know, um, helping other people maybe become a little more confident and, you know, maybe go through some stuff that they need to process. So you think your, your life and your experience to help other people. And that's fantastic. Well, I'm using my talents to be able to help make that come become a reality for them. You know, for me with drag, the transformation doesn't happen with the clothes and the shoes and the hair. It really happens with makeup. And mm -hmm. thank God my journey in life and everything that I've been through has lended me so much credibility when it comes to being able to go to somebody and transform them for the first time from man to woman, you know, right. um, as far as physically, physically looking uh, in the face goes, I, I that my entire life has been built around doing that. So I feel like I'm a specialist when it comes to making that happen for other people. And it's just so cool that I get to do it with HBO and I get to do it with, um, you know, mm -hmm one of the greatest people I've ever met. And that's Eureka? Yeah, she's just, you know, we're so close and we have such a relationship that, you know, our personal and private relationship that we have with each other is off limits. But mm -hmm. I will tell you this, I have never fought so hard with somebody and cried immediately after and never felt like it was, you know, there's a lot of people that you'll meet in your life where you'll scream and yell and shout and they'll leave and they'll never come back, mm -hmm. you know, and with her, I've managed to build a relationship and, and form a friendship in which saying how you really feel is okay. And that's so important to me because I've spent a great deal of my life telling people what they needed to hear so that I could never be without. And that was, th those, are the, those are the skills that you learn as a foster kid. You mm -hmm. learn how to treat people the way that they need to be treated so that you can just be left the fuck alone, mm -hmm. you know? And I built that skill 
off of a lifetime of trying to make everybody else happy and never letting people know who I really was. And that doesn't change once you hit 18 or once you hit 21 or once you hit 30. Those skills that you learn as a kid, those coping mechanisms that you have as a child uh, will follow you well into adulthood. And they mm -hmm. did. And those same things that used to work for me as a child stopped working for me because I got sick and tired of never being heard. I got sick and tired of people not understanding how I really felt. And whether it was my own doing or it wasn't, um, it felt horrible. And it got to a point where there was a breaking point. And, you know, people seeing me come out of homelessness and out of drug addiction and seeing that I needed the help of my friends around me became this inability to not let me grow into the person that I am today. There were a lot of people that I encountered along my journey that just wanted to keep me at where I was because that was comfortable for them. Mm -hmm. And I needed my relationship with them to evolve. I needed to not be always the person that needed to ask them for something or the person that needed something. I needed to be the person that had something to offer. Mm -hmm. And then I became the person who only had something to offer and there was no more give and take. And I've had to leave a lot of relationships in my life. Uh, just really over the past five years, I'm constantly shifting into new people. And it's because I'm constantly shifting into this new idea of who I am as a person. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, Eureka, I've known her for five years. We've grown a lot um, individually and we have pushed each other as far as friends can push each other. And we still manage to go back to each other and tell each other that we love one another. And that is a friendship, I think, based off of a lot of similarities growing up. Um, we have so many similarities that we've encountered as kids. And we have both tried to help each other rectify those, uh, those uh -huh. as adults. I've pushed her to be a better person and she definitely pushes me to be a better person. Right. There's just something so, so wrong about whatever relationship it is, if it's family, if it's friend, if it's lover, where you don't feel like you can say, you did this and it really hurt me, or I wish that you wouldn't say this, where you're constantly keeping it inside because you're afraid that they'll go off or they'll leave you or they'll, you know, whatever. If you can't express yourself and how you're feeling, it's just, you might as well write that relationship off. Honestly, if you can't speak up, because it just eats away on the inside. It's ridiculous. Well, what relationship is worth holding on to if you can't really be yourself? Absolutely. Nothing, Nothing. that I know is worth holding on to if it can't really be yours. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to be able to be an equally contributing member to every relationship that I'm having, even with the relationship I'm having with you right now. This is a relationship that we have encountered, right? And right. it's a 50-50 thing. When you speak, I let you speak. And when I speak, I, I'm, you know, you let me speak. So it, it's, there's an unsaid, I don't know what I want to say here, but I know, I know this. I never want to rely on my safety and security from people who won't allow me to just be myself. Mm -hmm. I never wanna to have to pretend to be something in order to get something else. And that's a lot of Los Angeles. A mm -hmm. lot of Los Angeles is, 
give me this so that you can get this kind of a deal. And you're dealing with, people say LA is fake all the time. It's not fake. There's a lot of really real substantial people with a lot of creativity and, um, and a lot to give. The unfortunate thing is, is that we all kind of need somebody else to get where we're going. And so that makes you have to be perform a different way when you're around certain people. And I just don't want to play that game anymore. I'm not going to be a performative person in order to have what I want. I'm going to just create it for myself. Right. Like this is me. Yeah. This is who I am. Love me or hate me. You know, that's fine. Whatever it has to be for you. But I, I can't wake up every day with this feeling and anxiety of not wanting to get out of bed because I don't want to do the dance anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that in my forties. I'm not going to do that in my fifties and I'm not going to do that in my sixties. So I've got quite a long time ahead of me of where I'm not going to feel like that because I've spent the first 40 years of my life feeling that way. I'm not going to do that anymore with the last 40. Right. No way. Right. And you were talking about, you know, friends or people in your life that kind of treated you for their own security. They, they looked at you like a project or someone who needed to be helped. And you're like, no, I, I appreciate that, but I, I, I want to grow. I don't need your help so much as you allow me to grow. Or well, to- I wanted, what I needed was for them to realize how valuable I also was in the relationship, mm-hmm. you know, that by, by them helping me gave them some sense of accomplishment because they mm-hmm. were also getting an opportunity to be part of my wellness. Right? right. But in that I was never being recognized for the, for what I was bringing to the table. So I took myself out of the equation. Right. Right. It's like, Oh, look how much I've helped him overcome his things. Well, guess what? Look at him overcoming his things. You know? Without you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Without right. you. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, done- that's the thing. Whether, whether it be with you or without you, I'm still going to do what, I'm, what I've been put here to do. Right. Absolutely. So you can either come along for the ride or not. Right. It's not going to stop your, it's not going to stop your journey. No, no. And anything, anything that I have is already mine and coming towards me. So I don't need to falsify any relationships or bonds or friendships with anyone in order to get what I'm already going to receive. Absolutely. I definitely believe that whatever, whatever is coming is coming and it's yours. You know, Mm -hmm. as long as I stay, as long as I stay sober and as long as I stay um, working on myself, I know that good things are going to come my way because I'm not put here on this earth. None of us are put here on this earth to suffer. All of our suffering is done by our own means. Mm-hmm. Do you find you have a mindset now because coming out of the addiction are do you have like triggers or things that could send you into a spiral and you recognize that and can overcome it? Yeah. I think that, you know, the program that I got sober with has really given me the tools that I didn't learn as a child. And it's giving me the coping mechanism and, and coping abilities to just call it like I see it. You know, I listen to my gut more than anything. 
you know, I was learn. I, I, I watch a lot of like really odd documentaries and docu-series um, about uh, geography and geology and history. And um, there was one that I was watching just recently and it said, when people say, trust your gut, there is a medical explanation to what's happening in your gut when mm -hmm. that thing that happens in your gut happens, right? So there is a chemical that's released in your brain and it's, it's there to protect your organs in mm -hmm. a fight or flight situation, right? Every single organ except the stomach. The stomach is the first to receive this chemical. So when you says trust your gut, that stomach flip, that feeling that you get in your stomach, that uneasiness, that mm -hmm. is the reception of that chemical from your brain. And so when you're trusting your gut, you're trusting that your body is sending you a signal to be prepared for some, you know, either incoming, you know, doom or an opportunity to escape, right? Um, and I think in being sober, I just have learned how to listen to my gut and trust my gut. When that chemical is released, it's automatic for me. And I don't, I just say whatever the first thing is that I'm feeling. And it's 99.999% right. Wow. Because I'm the only person in my life that's always going to know the truth for mm -hmm. my own self, right? You're the only person in your life that's never going to lie to you. Mm -hmm. And if you are great at lying to yourself, you still know the truth. Mm -hmm. I can't. I call myself out on my bull crap all the time. <laughs> you have to. You have to. And if you can't, you've got to have people around you that aren't afraid to call you out on your own shit, you know? Hmm. that's the for me that's the well, I was gonna say the worst friend to have but one of the worst friends to have is a yes man or a yes woman I want a friend that calls me out and goes listen you're being stupid right now or you know you're hungry <laughs> you know to, you're you know you're being you're being a bitch right now you need to deal with you know I don't want someone that goes oh yeah definitely sure totally mm -hmm. oh yeah he's you know he's horrible no tell me that it's my fault that we're fighting you want someone that's real with you as almost as real as you are with yourself, if you could possibly find that person. And, you know, again, I, I go back to my relationship with Eureka as much as I have fought with her, you know, she is the only person that whether I agree with it or not, there is some form of truth in what she says, you know, mm -hmm. um, and the same with me, I'm never going to lie to her because I want her to be the best she can possibly be. I mean, because in her being her best, I get the opportunity to be my best. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't I want for her to be the best possible human being that she can be? Because then it gives me an opportunity to be the best person I can be. Mm -hmm. You know, we're here wouldn't have happened for me if it wasn't for Eureka asking me to be on the show with her. You know, she came to me directly and said, I need you for this show. Would you be willing to help me? And I said, yes, absolutely. Let's do it. We went and did the pilot. We never thought it would go into a second season. We didn't think it would go into a first season. Right. But it has. And here we are two seasons into it. And at one point, my career was based off of her being happy, mm -hmm. you know? And we've just evolved into this place where, you know, when she gets to be her best, I get to be my best. And so, of course, I'm never going to tell her something that is going to you know, mislead her or misguide her. Um, and I love her, you know, she's a great fucking person. Um, 
highly misunderstood and, uh, you know, extremely um, passionate about what she does and, and beyond talented in every single way. Um, I just want her to be better. And she wants the best for me too. And I think that that's what I wish for anybody that has a friend out there. Just push each other to be the best that you can possibly be because in your friend being the best that they can possibly be, you will find the best you can possibly be. And then together you're the best. And it's it's just a perfect relationship, honestly. It is great. Mm -hmm. I'm very lucky. All right. And We're Here is on HBO Max. You can stream season one. Is season two in production or is it airing? We are, No, we are in season two production currently. We're uh, getting ready to film the last episode um, and uh, it will air early October is oh, when wow. they when when the premiere date is. So we're we're less than a month away from uh, from getting uh, I mean, I, I, I want to say that the promos are going to be coming out at any moment. <laughs> right. I mean, it's already September for crying out yeah. loud. Yeah. So I, I hope the promos are coming out really soon. I can't wait to see them. The last time they did promos for the show, um, my work was on the side of a billboard. But the, oh. the crazy thing is, is that they, they used, um, it, it's so insane to me. So I was using the makeup that I had at the time for the, the, the pilot. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have much makeup. I only had the makeup I used on myself. You know, I didn't have this arsenal of, of goods, you know, um, I was still building myself up, you know? Um, but the funny thing is, is I was using the ba like basics and what I had and we went to go film that pilot and who knew that they were going to use that one pilot episode for the promos of the first season. So, you know, of course the first billboard into, into this season was work that I wasn't quite proud of, but this year um, we got to actually film a special separate promo. So I'm really looking forward to everybody seeing the work that I did for that because I'm, I'm just really proud of how far we've come and how much I've grown in the last year. Right. I can just imagine you driving by and seeing the billboard like, no, not why. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, no, I'm serious. Like, that's exactly what it was. It was like, I was like, but not that picture. Like, <laughs> oh, it was like, I was, uh, if people only knew where I was at as an artist and then to see your work put up there and being like, not just put up like in, you know, old Stickums, Oklahoma, you know what <laughs> I mean? It's in Los Angeles on billboards and it's, stories high and it's on every bus and it's on every bus stop and every bark bench I mean it's it was everywhere you know um and and it's the it's the runner and the the poster for the the first season yeah I wasn't the most proud of that work but I was grateful for it this year this promo will be on everything and I'm gonna definitely be so proud of the work that we did because when we were shooting it I was just in awe of how, like I said, how far we had come. Right. It's crazy. Well, it's, yeah, it sounds exciting. And it's on HBO Max, which is pretty cool. Well, HBO Max is the first season, but we're the, um, we're the first docuseries to actually go onto HBO, the, the main channel. So oh. yeah, so when you were watching season one, as it came out, it was coming out on HBO. Now you can stream the first season on HBO Max, but 
this second season you will be able to see first on HBO. That's big. Yeah, it's it's massive. Yeah, That's this is this is not just a little streaming for reality series. This is a big, uh, a, a a big kahunga. You know, yeah. for me, it's the biggest network I've been able to work with. So I'm I'm really excited and to to be on a show like that with a um, you know on a network like that is just I mean. I'm in awe of my life sometimes. <laughs> well, it's amazing. And I mean, your talent has brought you there. I mean, yes, your relationship and friendship with Eureka might have given you a stepping stone. If you didn't have the talent, she wouldn't have asked you, right? Yeah. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. I, I, you know, again, going back to that first promo, I didn't feel very talented. And I look at that work now and I cringe, but for whatever reason, she asked me and she saw something in me. And I would like to say that she saw my determination to not ever want to give up. And I right. think at that moment, she knew that she was going to be in for the long haul and she needed somebody that was never going to give up. Absolutely. And, um, and I never will. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. I mean, coming from where you came from and the things that you went through, it seems like you've had some, some guardian angels along the way. And, you know, some good people that have, have come in and out of your life. But honestly, it comes down to what's inside of you. Yeah. At the basis of it all, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. And people can check you out. They can, I heard that you have a docuseries on YouTube. What is that called? It's just a, you know, it was just a student project that ended up turning into something that we, he was really proud of and I was really proud of. Um, I had gotten asked by my friend, uh, um, so my friend Jared uh, was doing his final project for school, he's in film school, and he wanted to follow me around and just kind of do his final project based off of the life of a drag queen. And he didn't know my story, he didn't know where I come from, and he didn't know the situation that I was currently in at the time. And um, we just dove in and he filmed a lot of stuff. And, you know, the project was only meant to be maybe like six or seven minutes long. He ended up getting um, this idea and he just said, you know, would you want to put this like on YouTube or something like that? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, and it doesn't have a lot of views, but it has definitely helped people um, the way that we didn't intend it to and that we had no idea that it would. I get more um like direct messages in on social media about people who have seen that docu-series and it, they're just mini documentaries like mini glimpses into a person's life um and we got so many messages the first one that we put out that we decided to do an update on the second one and i think it's time for us to do a third one um mm -hmm. because it's just it, it's just cool to see the the progress in, right. in my life and to see where I've come from. But yeah, it's on YouTube. It's on my YouTube channel. Um, there is one called They Call Her Six and then the next one is called Call Her Six. So we dropped the they. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, it's just me talking about my journey at the time and where I was at the time. And a lot of really amazing people who were in my life at the time. Um, you know, there's, there's some really incredible people that I've I've encountered along my journey that are still very special to me. Although I don't have relationships with them currently, they are um, and will always be special to me. Right, kind of like yeah. pieces of 
your puzzle a little bit. Yeah, I just remember, you know, being at a place in time in my life and then being at a place in time in their life when the two of us really needed each other. And um, for what it was worth, it was special. Absolutely. So they can check you out on TikTok, Call Her Six. I'm on TikTok. I'm on all platforms, uh, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, um, all under the same handle, which is Call Her Six. And it's uh, the number six, not spelled out. Um, it's very important. Um, and uh, yeah, who knows where you'll see me next? Absolutely. Well, we'll see you on HBO. That's for sure. I mean, that's that's the next next. But who who knows where you can see me after that? <laughs> Sky's the limit, baby. Sky's the limit. I mean, honey, I'm. That's where I'm aiming. Mm-hmm. Well, what is it? Shoot for the stars. Reach for the moon something i forget what freddie mercury used to say but uh reach for the moon grab the stars i forget but yeah yeah something to the effect of if you shoot for the moon and you land on the stars yeah yeah you're you still you're still amongst amongst you're in the you're in the you're in the the same you're in the right area yeah (laughs) (laughs) not us trying to figure that out we'll figure it out as time goes by i'm sure (laughs) i love that well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank I mean, you. You as well. It's great to meet you. You too. I hope that we stay in touch because you just bring so much joy to me and to everyone that that watches you and listens to you. Honestly. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm just, I'm just being honest. <laughs> That's right? all. You know, I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to put anything, any fronts up. You know, and I think that that's the thing that we identify with. And we're like, oh, I see the realness in this person and I like it. And I think that that's just the moral of the story. The more real you are, the more people will like it. Right. And kind of ironically, because you do wear the makeup and you do uh, the wigs and things like that. But that is truth as well. That's like, this is not fake because it's makeup and a wig. It, it's not fake. This is honestly truth. It's but crazy. see, that's the but that's the thing that blows people's minds is because they expect you to become this other character, mm-hmm. and because I'm still the same person in drag as I am out of drag, it blows people's minds. Mm-hmm. They get confused, and when some people, when they get confused, they get aggressive and angry, and you just you shut them down kindly, but firmly, and I love that. I love that about you. Yeah, I think it's just about letting people know what you will and you won't tolerate. Um, And people, I'm just setting boundaries for myself. And I think setting boundaries for yourself online and in social media is so important. And I don't think that it's something that a lot of people feel that they have the power, the freedom to do. But you also have to be very cautious and very careful and aware about the way you're doing it. I never want to come at people with anger and aggression the way that they're coming at with me because. You're never going to get anything done. Trying to put out a grease fire with grease is only going to cause more of a problem. Um, So I'm just letting people firmly know what I will and I won't tolerate. And, um, you know, it's like inviting someone into your home. When I'm talking to you on social media, I'm inviting you into my home. You have Mm -hmm. to know that you have to take your shoes off at the door and you cannot put your feet up on my coffee table. All right. Absolutely. And you're never, you're never nasty about it. I never want to be nasty because believe me, 
I don't even like myself when I'm nasty. Right. And I feel like that probably gets the point across more. I try to talk to people like when they're having an issue, this is off subject, but if they're having an issue with somebody else and this person comes at them and then they come at, I said, no, 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 no. Don't go back at them because that's just going to make it escalate. If you can come, you know, intelligently or even a well-placed sarcasm, if you can come to it with um, even a sense of humor about it and try to diffuse the situation, but yeah, you're right. Grease and grease is just a a bigger fire and it never works. Yeah. I'm, I'm just looking for more resolution in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that people also need clarity and resolution. And so if I let people know what is expected of, uh, of them, I can let them know what they can expect of me. Exactly. It's a fair trade. Well, it's been such a pleasure and I look forward to seeing everything that's coming from you. I can't wait for you to see it, whatever it is. I hope it's <laughs> <Exactly. good. laughs> Thanks to go stream season one of we're here on HBO max and stay tuned for the promos for season two. Cause it'll be out soon. Very soon. So excited. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for talking to me. Absolutely. I appreciate it. You're a doll. Right. Thank you. Bye, Bye babe. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day to come and spend it with us here at on imagination media. We truly appreciate you guys sharing this experience with us. For more information about us, you can go to autoimagination.org. In retrospect, I realize it's a really long website domain name. A-U-T-I-M-A-G-I-N-A-T-I-O-N.org. It's a combination of autism and imagination, something that's close to all of our hearts here. Thank you again to Newsly for sponsoring this show. Head over to www.newsly.me. Pick up that one month free premium subscription using our code PUP2022. Until next time, take care of your fellow humans. We're really all we have. Be nice to Mother Earth. And if you're ever in a spot where you need help, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for it.